So uh, we are in the middle of a series of messages talking about forgiveness uh, because um, forgiveness is practical. It's a new year and there's things we don't want to bring into the new year. So we looked at that last week, the idea that that um, forgiveness um, is, is a practical thing because we can't fix the past. Whatever it is, um, there may be some, some effort that people can go to to make uh, us whole, but usually with at least a lot of things, you really can't make um, the past uh, better. Um, so we forgive because we can't fix the past, but we also looked at the way that forgiveness um, opens up space. Sometimes it leads to, but certainly it opens up space that there can be reconciliation, that we can say, um, I am truly leaving that in the past. I'm not going to remember it again, and things can be um, like they always were between us. So so um, we looked at that last week, and um, and so that all sounds good. It sounds good because it's about you and forgiveness. It's not about me and forgiveness. The problem with forgiveness is when the rubber hits the road. It's when it actually um, impacts us. C.S. Lewis, in, in the book of Mere Christianity, he says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. The problem is there's people who give us things to forgive. And some, some people um, give us a lot of things, and that's what we're going to look at today. But but um, before we get into the question of people who give us lots of things, there's just the general problem of forgiving. Because it may be a good idea, but is it mandatory? And 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 who am I to tell you it's mandatory? And, and the truth is, I don't have any authority over any of you. I'm not the boss of you. I can't tell you what to do. And even if I could, I don't know your story. And frankly, if I heard the story, I'd probably be outraged. I, I would probably say, well, you should never forgive that person, which is probably a good reason to never tell me your story, because I'm not a good person, right? <laughs> but instead of looking at what Luke would say, let me tell you what Jesus says. Jesus says forgiving is not optional. The first point in our, in our, uh, on the bulletin, for Christians, if you're a Christian, Forgiveness isn't optional. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're uh, not a church person, you don't know exactly where you stand, you're trying to figure that all out, that's great, I'm glad you're here, but this message is not for you. And in fact, um, maybe this message is a reason why you should say, well, I'm going to put the brakes on you know, exploring Christianity because I don't want to be a forgiving person. And and uh, seriously, I mean, you may really feel that. So, so um so we're going to look at we're going to look at this, but but Jesus makes it too clear: if you are going to be a follower of His, then you have to be forgiving. We just prayed the the Lord's prayer, and in it we said this: we said, "And forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us." And we can say, "Well, yeah, but what exactly does as mean in that sentence? Does it mean that these two are conditionally linked somehow, and that you don't get the one without the other?" And we can debate that, except if we go on four more verses, and then we read where Jesus says. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So Jesus clarifies the Lord's Prayer only a few verses after he's finished teaching it to us. In Mark 11, Jesus says, When you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, Make allowance for other, each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Everybody say must. must. Okay, good, because we're going to say it again. Jesus says this. He says, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. Jesus says we must forgive. It's just all through the New Testament. We don't have any option if we're going to be followers of Jesus. 
So forgiving is not optional, at least for Christians. So now we can look at the question, okay, well, okay, I forgave them the one time, but they came back to me a second time. Do I get off the hook when it's a second offense? Or maybe the number is higher. Jesus says seven there. And I don't know if uh, Jesus is, um, I don't know if Peter's thinking about the same incident that Luke records in Luke 17, but in Matthew 18, Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? As many as seven times? And that's actually a pretty big number. I mean, if you've actually tried to forgive somebody who has hurt you seven times, that's that's a pretty big number. Um, we don't know exactly what rabbis were teaching in that period, but we know rabbinic teaching from a from a later period said you have to forgive people three times. So maybe maybe three was whittled down from seven, and in, in, in Peter's time, everybody said seven or whatever. Uh, maybe Peter is taking a big leap of, of, you know, we should just be really expansive here and, and go all the way up to seven. But Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times seven, excuse me. And my, my Bible has a footnote. I think most Bibles will have a footnote here on verse 22. It says, or 77. And so there's debate about exactly how many that is. And uh, the reason is because we want that number. We, we don't like 77. <laughs> we don't like 77. We'd rather it was seven. We'd rather it was one or even better zero. But, but we want a number. And so there's an incredible amount of ink that has been spilled by scholars trying to figure out exactly what those Greek numbers meant. You know, they were just as opaque to us as, as Roman numerals. Um, uh, but, but there's a debate. Is it 77 or is it 70 times 7? So either way, uh, Jesus tells us the answer because he gives us a, he gives us a, a parable that explains what it is. He says, therefore, this is like, not like in a different part of the Bible. This is the very next verse. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, the Greek language actually says 10,000 talents. Now, what that means is probably not 10,000 talents. The reason is because the biggest number in Greek was 10,000. So the biggest number of talents. And then the scholars start arguing over, well, was it a talent of silver or was it a talent of gold? You know, What kind of talent was it? Because that'll help us understand exactly how big of a debt this is. And that's to miss the point, to, to actually figure out what the number is. You know, if you were Bill Gates, could you do, right? Um, so, so here's, here's why I say it's wrong. Because, um, this is the Roman Empire. So the Mediterranean world there and, and the Roman Empire. And if you look at the eastern end of the Roman Empire, there along the eastern edge of the Mediterranean, that whole region from Syria in the north to Judea in the south produced less taxes for Rome than the number that Jesus is throwing around here. So he's saying, he's saying an astronomical number, the kind of numbers people use to talk about national debts. Okay, this is not some servant's capability to ever repay what all of Syria and Judea gave to the Roman Empire. This is an impossible number. Jesus is, has picked a number that's as big as he could make a number and be understood. So he says, he says he couldn't pay. Well, of course he couldn't pay. It's the biggest number that anybody could have understood Jesus talking about. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, and he begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. So this guy is a dreamer. He's dreaming big dreams that somehow he can pay back this impossible amount. 
But his master is filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. So, good master, right? But then the man leaves the king, and he goes out to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Now, I don't know about you, but a few thousand dollars, I would notice it if you owed me a few thousand dollars, and you came up to me one day and said, I'm not going to pay it. So it's kind of we're in the same ballpark as Peter is when he says seven times. That's not that's not easy to do to forgive people seven times, and it's not easy for me. Uh, maybe some of you are better off than I am, but I would notice it if somebody owed me seven thousand or a couple of thousand dollars, and they said I can't pay that. So um, uh, when the man leaves the king, he sees the fellow servant who owes him a few thousand dollars, and what does he do? He grabs him by the throat. And demands instant payment. And I loved, uh, in one of my uh, commentaries, they were explaining what the word means, and it's, it's to put your hands around somebody's neck. So, so he's, he's, you know, choking this guy, and he says, pay me instantly. And maybe you've got people you can think of, you know, debts that you felt like doing that. So, so his fellow servant falls down before him and begs for a little more time and says, be patient with me. And I will pay it. He says exactly to this guy what this guy had said to the king. So this guy has four chances to think, hey, wait, I just did this. But he misses them all. Instead, the creditor, the first servant, he wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until he could pay the entire debt in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Now, this is a parable, right? There isn't a king, there isn't a servant, there's not some debt that's worth thousands of talents, right? This is a parable that Jesus is telling us to help us understand something about forgiveness. So who is the king? The king is God. Who is the first servant? It's you and it's me. And then the other servant is this person that we're nursing a grudge against, right? So this is not, this is not a tricky thing for us to figure out. So, so the question is, before we see what the king does to the first servant, what did the servant do wrong, right? The other servants saw it. They looked at it and said, what a weasel. That's a terrible thing to do. I can't believe that that nasty person would do that. So how is the first servant, uh, what did the first servant do wrong? In, in what way? Because that, that's the question we care about. If we're going to put ourselves in the position of the first servant, we need to know what was it he did wrong? What did the first servant do wrong? Well, uh, I've told you the answer here, or I've told you my answer. This is this is my answer, and it's not. I, I want to get to it, but but briefly, the answer is Christians are to be like Jesus in everything. So so fill in the blank. But let me explain what I mean. Uh, this guy doesn't act like Jesus, and that begins with obeying Jesus. That to act like Jesus starts with obeying Jesus. So Jesus gives us the golden rule. He says, do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that's taught in the law and the prophets. So the golden rule uh, from, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, just when you encounter your fellow servant, just treat them the way you would like them to treat you. This guy knows exactly the way he would like to be treated. In fact, he's, he's, in, the, he's in the unique position of getting to do the golden rule in reverse, Right? Because you already know how you've been treated. And so, so it's not even having to speculate, how would I like to be treated? He got mercy, so he could easily understand what would be the easy, what would be the right thing to do for this, this other person. So, and he doesn't do that. Jesus also teaches us about the love of neighbor. He says that, that the, the great commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. 
But Jesus didn't just pull that second part out of thin air. Jesus uh, took both parts of the great commandment out of the Hebrew scriptures. This is what God has always wanted his people to do. And it's worth looking at the book of Leviticus. And I know that's a terrifying statement to look in the book of Leviticus because it's not the most um, compelling reading. But Jesus picks the second part of the goal of the great commandment from the book of Leviticus, and it's worth looking at it to understand its context. We understand, yes, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, and that sounds wonderful. But in context, in the book of Leviticus, what it's talking about is forgiveness. It says, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the original context of the great commandment, the, the part that says to love our neighbors ourselves. It's saying, it says, in the context of forgiveness, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. And it says, don't even wait for them to come to you and apologize for the fifth time. Instead, you go to them, you confront them, you do the heavy lifting. Confront people directly, so you will not be held guilty for their sin. So the book of, this is why we don't read the book of Leviticus. It's, it's so much easier to love my neighbor in the abstract, but when it says, actually, I have to go, it's awkward enough to hear the person's apology, right? But how much worse when I have to go to them and say, hey, you owe me an apology. And to do it in a way that is leading to forgiveness. So, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus teaches about who the neighbor is. That's a whole separate story, and we won't go there. But So that's, that's the first thing the guy does, is that Jesus has taught what it is to be a disciple, what it is to follow him, is we obey the golden rule, we love our neighbor as ourselves. We treat other people the way we would like to be treated if the situation was reversed. That's, that's reasonable enough. But that's not where the focus is here. The king calls in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The king says, yes, you should, at a servant-to-servant level, you should obey the golden rule. Yes, you should treat each other the way you would like to be treated. But you missed a more important point. I am the king and you are my servant. I'm the one you should look to for guidance about how you should live. What good living is all about. So the angry king sends the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. So Jesus says, says in this, that's the story. And then he says, and that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. It's an incredibly hard teaching because we know that we're not always forgiving. And the people who ask for it the most are the ones we have the most trouble doing it for. So, so I was trying to think, how can, how can I understand this second part? I, I get the part about treating other people the way that I'd like to be treated, but how can I get at this second part? And the problem is, this guy enjoys receiving forgiveness, but he doesn't really understand forgiveness. He thinks forgiveness is something that, that he can benefit from, but he doesn't realize this is what the king, this is, this is a, a, um, an attribute of the king that as a servant of the king, he should have himself. He doesn't get that part. And so I was trying to think, how can I make this memorable? And I said, if you don't get forgiveness, then you don't get forgiveness. That if you don't get it, if you don't understand it, if you don't, if you don't appreciate forgiveness, 
if it's not valuable to you, if it's not something you aspire to, then why would you want it? If forgiveness is something that you, you know, you think the king's a chump, you walk out of the room thinking, what a sucker, you know. I just skated on a 10,000 10, talent, you know, debt. What an idiot, right? If that's the way you treat the king, if that's the way you feel about forgiveness, that forgiveness is, is, is a way of getting out of a, of a problem, that it's not an attribute that you aspire to, then why would God give you something you don't like, something that you don't want? So if you don't get forgiveness, if you don't see forgiveness as something that is a good thing in itself, then no, God won't give you forgiveness. You say, well, I'm not sure if I am that kind of person. I'm not sure if I do get forgiveness in that sense. Well, the reason is because we're works in progress. The Apostle Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He says, he says that we are new creatures, that we have been given eternal life, that we're different on the inside. The problem is it is on the inside. And for some of us, there's a whole lot of the outside that's still left. So Paul says in Romans, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He says, let God work in you. Let God change you so you are like him. So you value forgiveness the same way he does. So so what we want to know is we want to know not only what 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 did Jesus do, what would Jesus do? But why would Jesus do what Jesus would do? So why would Jesus do what Jesus would do? And he answers us in his parable. Remember, it's not about a king, it's about God. He says, his master was filled with pity for him. The master looks at him and says, you've got an unpayable debt. You are in a terrible place. I would hate to be in a place where I had a debt that could not be paid. But you have a debt that cannot be paid. And so all I can do is pity you. I can say that's a terrible place to be in. And I didn't get in that position, but you know what? I can help it. I can help with it. And the way I'm going to help with it is by releasing him and forgiving his debts. And so the question we can ask ourselves, if we if those initials are too much for us, is we can say, does the person still need forgiveness? A second offender needs forgiveness just as much as a first offender. A, a, a seventh offender needs forgiveness just as much as a first offender. It's not a question of how many times they've offended me. It's a question of, do they still need do they still need forgiveness? Are they still pitiable? Do they still need mercy? The Apostle James says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But he says, if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And I think partly that's a consequential type of mercy. It's like, you you are not the kind of person who values mercy. And so why would I give you mercy if you don't value mercy? I think there's part of that. But I think there's also this idea of God will grade on the curve. So you're not very good at it. You are a work in progress. Uh, I am still being transformed by the renewing of my mind. And so God will look at me and say, that was a really pathetic act of mercy. But it was, you know, your heart's in the right place. So I'm going to show you mercy when I look at your acts of mercy. If you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. God will grade you on a curve. And in the book of Micah, we see this. We see... 
uh, God speaking to the prophet says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's not about how well we do it. It's about, is it what our hearts are oriented toward? Are we like the king? Are our hearts oriented toward mercy? Or do we think forgiveness is for suckers? So, love mercy, and then walk humbly with God. So, how do we put this into practice? Well, obviously, the the first step is to quit counting. We should quit counting how many times that person keeps offending us. Um, Paul says it in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, love keeps no record of wrongs. But there's another way we should quit counting. We should quit counting for it for a different reason. Excuse me. C.S. Lewis, uh, in um, in uh, his reflections on the Psalms, he talks about forgiveness. He says it's kind of like quitting smoking. He says he says somebody says, "Have you quit smoking?" He says, "Yes, I've quit dozens of times." <laughs> and he says he says forgiveness is similar to that. He says a week later we've forgiven somebody. But a week later, some chain of thought carries us back to the original offense, and we discover the old resentment blazing away as if nothing had been done about it at all. He says, we need to forgive our brother 70 times 7, not only for the 490 offenses, but for the one offense. It may be 490 times before that offense is truly exercised from your heart. So, so... Quit counting them and quit counting you because just keep doing it as long as it's needed. And then lastly, forgive as much as you want to be like Jesus because the purpose is not only for you not to carry something in into 2020. It's not only to set up the possibility of reconciliation between you and the other person. It's to become like Jesus. It's to become the kind of person for whom forgiveness is itself good. That you look at an opportunity and say, all right, a new opportunity to be forgiving. You know, because I love forgiveness so much. And if you're not there, remember, there is mercy for the merciful. That you can say, well, I'm not good at this, but I love the idea of forgiveness. I love the thought that I can give up thousands of dollars. I love the thought that I can not choke you by the neck. This is this is the picture that Jesus is painting. So forgive as much as you want to be like Jesus. And Paul says we can get help from the church. Paul writing to the, the, the church in Corinth, he says this, when you forgive this man, Paul has been injured by somebody in the Corinthian church. And he says, when you, the church in Corinth, when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be give, forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil, evil schemes. Paul says that there's nothing Satan likes more than when the church is unforgiving. That when the church is seen by people outside the church as unforgiving, it, it, um, it flies in the face of everything the world knows about Jesus. And so when we present that message that the church is unforgiving, that we're actually contradicting what Jesus says. So he says, it's a great thing when the church forgives somebody, Paul says, I can forgive him too. He says, I can take my cue from you. And so I do. And he says, I can forgive whatever needs to be forgiven. And then a, a, a chapter later, Paul says, he says that God is, is changing us into the kind of people who value that. And he says, all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So if you're not the kind of person today, you can say, you know, 
yay, I got a new opportunity to give up a thousand dollars or several thousand dollars, excuse me. Um, I, if you're not there yet, that's okay. But that's the goal. That's the kind of people God wants us to be, the kind of people who, who see forgiveness not as, not as a getting off the hook, but as a good in itself. And it's something that we want to be like Jesus in. So, be like Jesus. Forgive as much as you want to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, forgiveness is hard, and the people who come to us repeatedly and need our forgiveness are one of the reasons it's hard. But ultimately, Lord, the reason it's hard is because we are not who you made us to be. We are not yet fully formed Christians. And so, Lord, we pray you would continue to work in us and, uh, yes, give us the opportunities to be forgiving because we need them in order to be like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.